Hi again to everyone and thank you for joining us today. My name is Nyambura Mbogwa. I am a communications consultant based in Nairobi and also the co-author of the, in, the International Civil Society Center's annual report on digital innovation. I uh, will be the moderator for today's digital dialogue. I am an African woman with an Afro. I am wearing glasses and a brown shirt with brown patterns and a gold necklace. Today we'll be putting the spotlight on how to move from consultation to co-creation with user communities. Joining us today, we are delighted to welcome Ibrahim Salim from Code for Pakistan. Ibrahim is Code for Pakistan's Director of Fellowships. He is a developmental sector professional with a strong background in e-governance, public sector innovation, and Gov 2.0. Ibrahim oversees the civic fellowships and internships at Code for Pakistan. These are technology-focused programs that allow young technologists to engage with the government in Pakistan and build various civic tech solutions. Welcome, Ibrahim. Um, thank and you so then, much. Sorry. Um, and then secondly, we have Rafael Denise from Rizomatica. Rafael holds a PhD in community on, in computer science. He works for Rizomatica Communications and leads on the Hermes project, which aims to provide connectivity to isolated Amazon rainforest communities through an innovative telecommunication system, which uses the high frequency band to connect to these communities. I've had the absolute pleasure of working with Ibrahim and Rafael before on the innovations report. So I'm very excited for them to be able to share their projects today. And finally, our third panelist is Fadia Al-Garib from Global Innovation Gathering. Fadia is passionate about connecting communities and finding the best knowledge sharing systems to help empower societies using existing technology. She truly believes in the role of digitalization in transforming society's living conditions. Fadia was a practicing lawyer in Cairo before changing, to, before changing gears to do her master's in media and cultural management in Germany. In her role as operations and community lead at the Global Innovation Gathering, she works to bring innovators from the global South and North together by organizing real life and online events. So today each panelist will be giving their input in five minute slots and then we will have some discussion and questions towards the end. I will now hand over to Ibrahim, apologies for before, to get us started. And please remember to start with a brief self-description. Um, thank you so much, Nimbora. It, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so uh, hello everyone, I'm Ibrahim Salim. Um, I'm wearing a white dress shirt uh, speaking to you from the historic city of Peshawar, Pakistan. Um, uh, I use he, him pronouns, uh, and I am the director of fellowships at Code for Pakistan. Uh, I'll start my talk uh, by briefly um, sharing what Code for Pakistan does. So Code for Pakistan is a civic tech organization uh, that has been working in Pakistan for the past nine years. Um, we are on a mission uh, to develop uh, a civic innovation ecosystem uh, uh, in Pakistan. Uh, in, and in our mission to advance uh, digital governance and civic engagement, we have been running different programs uh, at the provisional and federal levels uh, to promote uh, digital co-creation, um, innovation, and involving citizens at the grassroots level. 
um, we have uh, de designed the KP Government Innovation Fellowship Program, which we have been running in partnership with the, uh, the KP Government Information Technology Board and the World Bank uh, since uh, 2014. Uh, the, the fellowship program has been inspired by Code for America's fellowship program, and we have um, uh, modeled and updated the program uh, to the local context. Um, so the main, um, you know, the aim or the goal behind the fellowship program is to harness the power of the people and technology uh, to develop uh, digital solutions and uh, to, to develop um, a governance, um, you know, platform to, so that we can involve citizens uh, at the grassroots level to work on uh, digital solutions and digitization initiatives. Um, so we have been running the fellowship program since uh, 2014, and so far we have uh, completed uh, seven cycles of the program. And in these seven cycles, we have graduated uh, 126 fellows. And we we have um, we started with uh, 12 part-time fellows, and over the years we we shifted to uh, 20 full-time fellows. And uh, these fellows, you know, they come from different backgrounds. Um, they have they are they are technologists, they are researchers, uh, and they have the passion to innovate and work with the government. And over the years, we have partnered with more than 30 government departments. Uh, in the Khyber Pakhtunkhwa or the KP province in Pakistan, and we have developed 50 plus uh, digital solutions. Um, and these digital solutions are, you know, they are different. They are online platforms. Uh, they are government websites. Uh, they are mobile applications. Uh, they are open data portals. And all these uh, digital solutions have been created by involving citizens uh, at each step of the process. Um, uh, and I also like to share that uh, since we have been running the fellowship program. Since 2014, and um, uh, Pakistan, their their context similar to the global, global South. So we realized the need of you know involving more women um, graduates within uh, our programs. So we also uh, launched um, the KP Women Civic Digital Internship Program last year, and the the aim behind the internship program was to involve women um, in, within the technology sector, within the civic tech sector, and also allow them to participate uh, in the fellowship program as well. Um, so the fellowship program is a six months, basically a six months program where we recruit different fellows uh, with different uh, skills and um, and these fellows work on different problem statements. So we collect these problem statements from different government departments and the selection criteria is primarily focused on that. How can we develop digital solutions that can empower citizens? So uh, once these problem statements are shortlisted, our fellows work very closely with the government departments. And the way we develop these solutions, we use design thinking practices, we, we use uh, citizen-centric approaches uh, so that we can involve citizens um, in, from the, uh, you know, the ideation phase and we, we, we do different workshops, we, we do user testing, we, we do user research, and we involve citizen input uh, at every step of the process so that uh, the solutions that we are creating for the citizens benefits the end user and it meets the needs of the end user. Um, so, uh, like I explained, we have created 50 plus solutions. So, I'll quote some examples that we have created uh, many complaint systems. Like one of the one of the areas that citizens need support from the government is, you know, that there is a complaint redressal mechanism, and digital or online platforms provide a, a very good platform um, and bridge the gap between uh, government and citizens. We have created uh, open data portals and. Uh, one key focus area uh, in the, during our fellowship programs is our focus towards open source solutions because um, on one hand, open source solutions uh, are a significantly lower cost compared to proprietary solutions, which sometimes in countries like Pakistan, 
one barrier or uh, to digitization is high cost of sustainability of solutions and we are very mindful of that uh, hence we we um, as a civic tech organization we promote open source solutions um, and also there's a there's a drive uh, to to create open data to to train government uh, on open data on these uh, digital solutions uh, so we all, we have also worked very closely with different government departments and we have trained uh, close to 400 government uh, personnel on uh, digitization initiatives on open data data usage uh, on how to sustain uh, these digital solutions that that we have created so far um, so um, uh, i'm very um, i'm looking forward to to engaging with all of you and and taking your questions uh, so that um, we, i can share my learnings and also take feedback so that we can um, we are we are aiming that we can learn from the international community and incorporate some of the learnings those learnings within our uh, fellowship and internship programs as well. So over to you, Nibora. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ibrahim. Now I'd like to welcome Rafael to the screen. Welcome, Rafael, and please um, in your, provide your opening remarks and don't forget to begin with a self description. Okay. Uh, can you hear me well? Yes. Okay. So um, hello, everybody. My name is Rafael Geniz. I work at Rhizomerica, that's an NGO uh, that works with uh, communities, especially in South America, for uh, allowing them, for uh, supporting them in creating their own telecommunication infrastructure. Uh, one important project of Rhizomerica is in Mexico, in Oaxaca, where we supported the creation of uh, mobile telephony, co community mobile telephony, for uh, indigenous communities in Oaxaca. And I will talk about the Hermes project that I helped to create, and I'm the lead developer. Hermes means uh, high frequency emergency and rural and rural multimedia exchange system. And uh, the, the idea of this system is to provide uh, telecommunications uh, uh, solution, a telecommunication solution for communities that have no access to any telecommunication uh, access. Uh, we are focused on the Amazon rainforest in South America, where there are many indigenous and riverside communities which have no access to any telecommunication infrastructure. And uh, we use the HF radio band to create these links between the communities and the, the nearest uh, urban center where there is internet and telephony connection. The HF band is very important. Uh, the HF band by, by ITU, by the International Telecommunication Union, is defined by the frequency range between 3 megahertz and 30 megahertz of the radio spectrum. And uh, it's very important because the ionosphere of the Earth that is located uh, between, uh, especially the, the part between 90 kilometers and 200 kilometers height. It reflects the waves uh, of the HF band. So you can uh, reach very far away places with re relatively affordable equipment and very simple antenna installation. And uh, and so uh, next slide, you can see an example of how an antenna looks like. It's very easy to build it and to install it 
in the next slide, uh, you can see how to install such antenna. Here we are installing it in a pole in, inside uh, on top of a house. It's a simple dipole antenna made of wire and a small impedance matcher that's called balloon, where the coaxial cable enters. And the other end of the this antenna, there is a uh, the radio that we develop, the telecommunication system that we develop, that's in the next slide, that uh, uh, inside it, there is a HF radio transceiver, a computer, a small computer, and a Wi-Fi router that uh, people can connect to it. And for example, send emails, a picture, an audio message through the HF. This message will travel over HF, to the to a gateway station that's exactly like this, but the only difference that is connected to the internet, and then this gateway station routes the email or the message through the internet to the, the to the destination host to the destination partner, and uh, also the other way, people in the internet can reach these uh, faraway communities using this HF uh, telecommunication system. Uh, in the next slide, uh, you can see uh, uh, the the architecture of the network, where there is a gateway station that is represented in this diagram in the bottom uh, equipment, and then this equipment can connect to stations that are very far away, more than one thousand kilometers away. We can establish the connection. Typically, the communities are located in the range of 500 kilometers radius where there is a small urban center and then the communities spread uh, in the rivers typically, right? So this is just a diagram of the network. And uh, this is very important for the communities because most of these communities are vulnerable to the action of loggers, to illegal mining activities, to invaders to, to, to that get inside indigenous land. So uh, having some system to communicate fast uh, can make a, a very important difference to, to their lives, uh, especially for communities, for example, that are one or two way by boat to the nearest uh, phone connection, for example. So, uh, that's it. This is the, the brief introduction to what I'm working on. And I appreciate after that we have some discussion and synergies. And yeah, thank you, Nyambuda. Thank you for the opportunity. I pass the microphone. Thank you so much, Rafael. And I actually wanted to say that I think it's really incredible the work that you've done because the high frequency radio was kind of a forgotten technology. Um, and it has now been repurposed to be able to provide modern connections to rural communities. So that's really amazing. Thank you. Um, so last but certainly not least, we have Fadia. Fadia, welcome. And please provide your opening remarks. And don't forget to begin with a self-description. Thank you, Naimbura. Hello, everyone. Very exciting to be here today. Um, I am North African woman with long curly hair that's dark, and I'm wearing a green t-shirt. 
Um, I work as the operations lead and community manager of the Global Innovation Gathering. The Global Innovation Gathering is, a, is an organization that is a network based, that is formed on the connection of great uh, people uh, based from around the world, mostly in the global south, countries of the global south. Um, and our members are basically change makers, innovators, makerspaces, all kinds of uh, organizations or individuals that believe in a different approach to development um, and different way of, uh, or, or even approach to finding solution to their local communities uh, that was not previously offered. Um, so basically, um, we are global South based. Most of our members are based in what could be uh, called developing countries. And our aim as an organization is to try to connect these people um, so that they can exchange knowledge and experience and even sometimes just personal um, um, understanding of each other uh, through different platforms. We do that by convening once a year or twice a year physically in one of the big events that used to happen in Berlin or still happening in Berlin, it's called Republika. And the other aspect where, that we're trying to cultivate more now after, specifically after um, uh, COVID-19, is the digital aspect of meeting online and coming together um, to get to know each other more uh, on, on more regular basis, but also discussing uh, topics and thematic themes that are relevant to the community. Um, my personal interest in what I do as a community manager uh, came actually after I have moved to Germany to, to study um, uh, media and culture management to do my master's there, and then only to realize that I haven't met many of um, many citizens from countries, neighboring countries to Egypt, you know, like Libya, Sudan, or even Iraq, except in Germany because that's how it, how it has been for a very long time. The North or countries of the global North have been a platform where many of uh, many people from the global South where they meet. It was a platform where we learned, but also met each other. And to me, that was the spark at the beginning, you know, how, how much we've learned uh, across that um, um, opportunity of meeting in Germany, how many, how much we've learned from each other, how, how much we've exchanged, and how was this opportunity not very apparent when I was living in Egypt. And from here came that excitement for me personally on how can we connect more and how can we make use of these connections and make sure that maybe um, uh, the South-South collaborations could come of benefit. And then slowly that even perspective of meeting people from the Global South expanded to reach to rest uh, to the Latin American continent, to the Asian continent, Southeast Asia. And it just opened up a whole new world for me personally, where I understood that so many countries uh, from the global south might be sharing a lot in terms um, of understanding of the world, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of even challenges, um, and that there might be a lot of things in common that could bring us together to learn and exchange. Um, so this is basically where my own interest stems 
um, to work as a community manager in the Global Innovation Gathering. And of course, um, later on in the discussion, we'd be happy to introduce more of the projects that we're working on and that new approach to development. Mainly um, this understanding that um, the user and the citizen should be at the center of the process uh, of design, of education, of even finding solution to those local, to the local communities. Um, yeah, very excited to be here today with everyone and uh, looking forward to continue the conversation. Thank you so much, Fabia. So the next um, section of the discussion today will be amongst the panelists um, and myself. And I would like to open the floor to um, Fadia, Rafael, Ibrahim, if you have questions, or I could also kick us off. I, I have uh, a question for Rafael. Yes, please. I just I'm I'm wondering if you can share with us more on the process of approaching those those communities, um, since I I from my understanding you yourself it, uh, you came from a city or you're an urbanite what we call how was it you trying to introduce this Hermes and and this platform and this technology to the communities how what was your approach how did you handle that right right uh first i i got involved with uh indie media and the free radio movement in in sao paulo then in campinas in the south of brazil and then um well i i really like to work with radio especially because we had a free radio in the campus and uh, and the free radio was really a, a multidisciplinary place. A lot of people from anthropology, from social sciences, history, uh, doctors, computer scientists like me, and and then uh, we got in touch with a researcher that was working with with the creation of the first reserves in in Brazil in Acre State. And uh, I always used to hear that. Uh, one of their complaints of these communities was about communication, that they had no communication at all. And the, the thing that they, they always used to ask us is to install radios, uh, two-way communication radios, HF radios. And then we went there and we made a project and we start, started to install to in, in Acre, in Reserva Extrativista do Alto Juruá. We started installing uh, voice analog HF radios to them. And uh, as a computer science, I say, well, uh, why don't we transmit digital data in, in these HF uh, radios through these HF radios? And and then it all started. And, and, and then um, I got in touch with Rhizomerica sometime later. and. And then, yeah, and then the, the, the history continues and uh, they still have this need uh, for 50 years already. And uh, and then we decided to develop this, this Hermes system and we are already developing it for around four years. And now we reach the state that we can really install for the communities. We started to produce these units and not 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 only use uh, off-the-shelf equipment because they we realized after we started using off-the-shelf equipment they really made for voice and not really good for audio for, for audio no sorry for digital data 
And then, okay, so we need to build our room harder, our room softer, and and we did, and we are still doing. And this is a long story told short. <laughs> Of course, um, Rafael, actually, if I could follow up with that question, um, it's always a long, it's always a much longer story than you can fit it to five minutes. But um, how do you hope to expand the project beyond Latin America to perhaps areas that would need and can benefit from Hermes, you know, places where there's been um, disasters, places that where even other rural communities outside of Latin America? Do you think mm -hmm. this will be a possibility in the future? Yes, certainly, yes. I think uh, we at Rhizomatica have a, a limited uh, uh, force or uh, limited amount of people that work on it. So we need help, I think, at least in two ways. Uh, one way is partnerships to identify places that need such technology and to help them to, to, to deploy this technology. And the other help that we really need is to really produce these radios, this equipment. Because right now we have, we had not scaled the production. We have an almost artisanal production. We produce one by one, assembling the boards. Some boards we, we run in China to produce the boards, but many components we solder them uh, by ourselves still till today. So, uh, we need help to scale the production, not only in Brazil, but in other places. The more places we have that can produce this equipment, the better, because exporting equipment, you know, is always a hassle. There are taxes to be paid, import taxes to be paid, uh, restrictions to import parts. So uh, the more places we can uh, produce this is better. And of course, with the software development, no? And uh, the social development, software development is an area with really all the all the aspects of this project can be evolved in a, in a collaborative collaborative way. All the software for this project is free software, and uh, yeah, I mean the, the HF technology, as you mentioned, Yambuda is the CVU HF technology is stuck in on time, like fifty year stuck on time. The military HF technology is very advanced indeed, but uh, the civil technology for HF is kind of stuck in the 60s when uh, the, when satellites started to be launched. The HF technology kind of, uh, the development stopped, uh, kind of halted. So there are many things to do. And I think the satellites are complementary to HF. But in in the in a way for real emergencies for this kind of communities that need affordable communication, HF really has a important role, I think. And yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Um, it's just it's really amazing to see what you've been able to accomplish. And I think going forward, it will be great to understand how partnerships can further the the Hermes system. Ibrahim, I see you nodding along <laughs> a lot. So I, I, I wanted to ask one question from Rafael. So yes, uh, as we are all aware, Pakistan experienced um, very severe floods um, a couple of months ago. So um, how would you um, uh, share, like suggest that whether 
we, there is potential to use this technology in countries like Pakistan, uh, especially in disasters like floods or like earthquakes where communication networks um, are, you know, uh, cannot be sustained. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, penetration of the grid, of the national grid. There are areas which are not connected to the grid. Um, whether there is potential to uh, uh, power it through renewable energy, whether there is potential to uh, expand it further, um, whether we can create it in, uh, as an open source hardware project where collaborators or engineers can uh, give feedback or suggestions. So if uh, I would love to hear your feedback on that, uh, whether that is a possibility, whether we can use this technology for disasters like floods in countries like Pakistan. Well, I think that's a very good technology for these use cases like floods in, in Pakistan. I think, uh, as you, you know it, there are many people that are very tech-savvy in Pakistan. And uh, as I start, I think if you could uh, get one or two uh, people that are interested in testing this involved to, to study a bit how the system works, and uh, and with a small budget, we can really buy the equipment and uh, not only the equipment, but uh, some uh, foldable solar panels, you know, that are easy to carry even in a backpack, uh, small batteries, and then really uh, uh, simulate like in case of an emergency, you can uh, open your solar panel, uh, put the battery on top of any place that, that you have uh, nearby, put the equipment and transmit the message, the data you need. I think this would really be an interesting project. Uh, I would recommend first to do a trial to demonstrate. And then of course, if there is more interest to, to scale this in, um, in a, it's interesting to, you, you mentioned about open hardware because this hardware, the, the, the HF radio we uh, we are using is a project from a, uh, a ham radio operator from India called Ashar Farham. So it's it's close to Pakistan, much closer than we are. And uh, we indeed are importing these boards from India. And so for, for, for you in Pakistan to start, you can, for example, start with this project from from the, these these men in Pakistan in in India, sorry, and of course evolve because there are many areas to evolve of the, this board. It's a not very complex board, but also not very um, not with a lot of features. Let's say like this, and uh, and it's already an open hardware, so you can you don't start from scratch. You can start from this project from Ashar and evolve it to uh, to address the needs you have in Pakistan. That sounds very interesting. I'll I'll definitely reach out for more information. Thank you. Let's let's be in touch. Great question, Ibrahim. Um, so now, if I could also ask you a question, um, you've been working with the with the government a lot in Pakistan with the fellowship program, and I wanted to ask. Working with government departments can often be difficult. They can be bureaucratic. This is the process can take longer than ordinarily you would hope for. So what advice or what are some of your learnings in being able to positively engage a government and to get results um, the way you have? 
Thank you. Thank you. That's a great question, uh, Nibora. So um, if you talk about our work at Court for, Court for Pakistan, uh, the way we are different from uh, some civic uh, society organization is that we, we work in collaboration with the government. And we are of the view that government is a very key stakeholder um, in countries like Pakistan in the global south where there is uh, the there is overpopulation, uh, there are lack, lack of resources, uh, the digitization initiatives, they are not uh, up to the mark. So we believe when we started working that in order for us to um, you know, create the most impact, we need to partner up with the government. And over the years, um, uh, in our experience of work working with the government, uh, we think that um, by developing um, programs and by involving the government in the development of those programs um, and also um, uh, collaborating and facilitating the government in social development. So if I talk about the example of the fellowship program, like I, like I mentioned that it was modeled um, um, like the, the Code for America uh, fellowship program, but the thing that we modified was the social development aspect of it. Um, we, we hire fresh graduates who have uh, one year of experience and these these fellows are hired by the government and they are paid by the government um, uh, of, of close to $300 stipend and the social development part, um, you know, uh, helps the government do something for the citizens as well. And on the hind side, these citizens can be involved with, it, with the government. They can work very closely with the government on developing digital solutions. So it's sort of a win-win model for the citizens and the government and Code for Pakistan bridges the gap between the government and citizens. Um, so by developing these, you know, these different models, uh, like similar, like I mentioned, the internship program. So one thing that we did for the internship program was, was to make this program remote or online. And we did that because uh, if you talk about the KP province, a lot of women, there are some social and cultural barriers that they can't participate in these programs. And we, we made this program remote based on our learning of executing the fellowship program amidst the global pandemic. And we realized that technology can play a vital role in enabling uh, people to join these programs uh, from the comfort of their homes from, uh, from being remote. So we uh, developed the women internship program and we gave an opportunity to women in remote parts of KP. Um, they are, they are, uh, they are uh, the federally administered areas uh, which were previously, uh, you know, federally administered, but they are now part of the KP province, especially women, uh, you know, women graduates who sometimes cannot pursue their careers after graduation because of social and cultural barriers, because of, uh, you know, challenges to, to, to transportation, because uh, for them to uh, even avail an internship program means that they have to daily travel five, five hours by road. So we, we leverage technology and we leverage different programs uh, to uh, facilitate the citizens and also work very closely with the government, which has a mandate to facilitate the citizens. Uh, and we support the government. Like when we started initially back in 2014, there was not much of a concept of digitization within the government. And over the years in collaborating and working closely with the government, we realized an uptick in the, uh, in the adoption of our solutions. Uh, when 3G, 4G uh, networks launched in Pakistan, where digital literacy among the masses increase. So the government realized that, yes, there is a need from the citizens as well that they need digital solutions. And when uh, in 2020, 
when COVID hit, the, the, the demand for digitization increased rapidly. So we saw uh, an uptick, an increase in the demand by government departments. Like I can quote you an example that usually when you used to collect problem statements, we used to uh, get on average 30 problem statements. But last year during the seventh cycle, we, re we received close to 60. So the demand from the government almost doubled after the pandemic. Uh, so, uh, so I think Court uh, for Pakistan truly believes that, um, like in order to, uh, like in in countries with context similar to Pakistan, uh, in order to create the most impact, you have to uh, work collaboratively with the government, and you have to consider all these areas of empowering citizens of, uh, you know, um, Pakistan having a lot of uh, youth in uh, a youth bulge in Pakistan. You have to create programs that benefit the youth somehow. So these have been some of the learnings uh, uh, that we do at Court for Pakistan. So, yeah. Thank you, Ibrahim. Um, it's great to hear that the government has been very receptive and has even seen the benefit of the programs to be able to reach out with the problems that they have at hand and say, um, and say what they need and be able to like engage citizens. That's really important and impactful. Um, Fadia, did you have a question? Or... No, I was just wondering, um, I mean, just because uh, part of our network, I think there was some noise outside. I hope you can't hear that. Um, um, I was thinking um, about the solutions that are being developed by the fellows from this program. Do you have, uh, uh, I don't know, some kind of uh, understanding or a policy that makes these solutions open source, for example, so that it allows uh, these solutions to be constantly developed or, um, yeah, I was just wondering if that's part of uh, your program somehow. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for your question, Fadia. So, yes, we, we have a focus of developing open source solutions um, and uh, we have a very active GitHub profile. Uh, you can visit our GitHub um, and we maintain the source code of all these solutions and we welcome um, uh, other organizations internationally uh, who can use the, the source code and develop similar solutions. Uh, so this is essentially a criteria that we want to create solutions a, uh, which are open source, um, which, which is a which are open source solutions are sustainable. They are um, uh, they are lower cost compared to proprietary solutions, and also uh, there's the aspect of uh, replication that. Uh, uh, like in different cities, like like right now we are planning to um, expand the fellowship model uh, to the federal government. Uh, and we have partnered with different uh, partners, like during the pandemic, we partnered with the National Institute of Health and we ran a pilot fellowship program um, with the National Institute of Health on a health tech focused fellowship program. So the aim is that we create open source solutions uh, which are sustainable, which are replicable, um, and um, even after, like uh, the the uh, like, if the government decides to move away from the solution, that solution can be taken up by different partners. Um, so this is a key focus area for us uh, in, in the fellowship programs. Thank you, Ibrahim. Actually, as you were speaking, I was thinking, um, Fadia, in your work, has have you ever encountered that you actually do engage some governments? in being in bridging the gap between the south and the north 
So a lot of my, our members actually work on that. So part of a, the vision of, let me go uh, a little bit more into uh, the culture of our members and the culture of the global innovation gathering. So basically um, we're a network that's based on openness, diversity, transparency, and a new understanding of that intersection between digitalization and what it does to the communities. So it's it's no longer about those bottom up, uh, this up, uh, bottom um, uh, solutions was actually vice versa, this belief that the communities know what's best for them, right? What kind of technologies they need, um, uh, what kind of solutions they need. Then comes the, the, the technology as a factor that can help uh, find that solution, right? So, um, a lot of our members work on this, like an education in makerspaces, like the maker education or in um, uh, teaching code as well uh, to younger generations so that they can grow up uh, to know how to develop their own uh, solutions. Um, and there's the other aspect from our members where they work on um, um, they work like either parallel with government, but through uh, finding policy briefs, for example, recommendations on how can governments integrate more an open and inclusive uh, um, way of approaching communities that are looking for development, or, uh, for example, when it comes to data, um, um, how could governments uh, change their policies on data privacy, these kind of, um, yeah, work. Okay, super. Yeah, sometimes it's the citizens who need to kind of come to the government and say, this is what's, we, we have expertise, this is what you should be doing, or this, what, this is what can be improved. So thank you very much, everybody, for the excellent questions um, between yourselves. Um, now I would like to just go on to some of the questions that we've had from the audience. We have had some questions submitted. Um, as people were registering and as the conversation has gone on in the chat. So the first question is, what are the roles of civil society organizations to address the digital divide and increase digital literacy and access for marginalized populations um, in rural communities to digital development? So how, yeah, how do civil society organizations kind of bridge that gap between rural, rural communities and digital in, in development? Uh, who want to talk? <laughs> <laughs> Rafael, you can begin. Okay. Well, I think Fadia should compliment me as she's the scholar about <laughs> the topic. <laughs> but, uh, well, I think uh, it, it, the, the use of the telecommunication systems is very important, right? Because we see in, in this world we live, like um, systems like uh, Facebook or Instagram, uh, they don't really unite people. They don't really strengthen the communities and they don't really improve their lives. So I think the, the focus is, is exactly to provide a communication system that can improve the life of the people. For example, Hermes, it's not internet. You cannot access YouTube or Facebook. It's a very low bitrate communication system. And people in some indigenous communities, when some of them 
a small amount of them have internet. They turn it off uh, during the day because they don't want the, the child to stay on internet uh, watching uh, YouTube videos or, um, or TikTok or stuff like that because they see us harmful. And uh, our system does not even allow access to such kind of content. It's really the content is defined by the collective of the community. And of course, there is, people use also for personal communication, just like a telephone. But uh, they kind of don't want everybody to, to, to get in touch with the, all the content available on the internet because they think it's harmful. And, uh, and for an organization purpose, for example, they use the system to exchange the price of the goods, the price of the nuts, the price of the, the products they produce, they produce in the forest to improve their economy. Uh, so they, they focus on what is important to improve their lives, their economy, their, their personal lives, but uh, not, they're not, they don't want to be totally open to, to, to all the, the technologies that sometimes it's promised that to improve their lives and in the end make their life worse you know so i think this is just some thoughts i wanted to 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 say and i, I pass to to fadia and ibrahim to also comment because yes i would like to add uh to that that one of the things also noticeable between a lot of our members that are based in the global south is how digitalization kind of addresses a lot uh um the oral community right like we a lot of times talk about orality in the developing world or the global south and as opposed to uh literacy the more literate societies in the global north and one of the things that i think digitalization enables is that it, through audio and video content you are able to address a wider range um, of an, a wider range of people, of societies, of communities that might have not had the same level or the same, let's say, uh, the same structured education, for example, that a lot of, you know, literate ways kind of offer. Um, uh, and this is one of the things that, for example, uh, is being now cultivated. A lot of this video content uh, for DIY, for uh, even e-learning, all of this. And and one of the things that's very apparent, for example, in a country like, in, like Egypt, is that the government is still trying to follow up with this right like this whole notion of digitalization it was like this big scandal uh, in Egypt with the new education ministry for example when they when we talked about digitalization the first thing they did was put a big budget of buying tablets you know for students but in the same time completely foregoing the fact that we don't have the infrastructure or even the educational uh, caliber the teachers the trainings necessary for the for for schools to kind of integrate the step like that as opposed to that a lot of of grassroots spaces and 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 uh maker spaces and hack spaces they really work on the ground with young people to learn uh, uh, to learn all, all kinds of content, you know, coding, uh, robotics, uh, all kinds of educational material that could be helpful. And they do have the language, right, to speak the language of young people that is already on top of things because they have grown up with 
mobile phones, for example. Um, um, so this is one of the things that kind of that we are trying, for example, or a lot of our members are trying to kind of shed the light on the role of grassroots development as opposed to uh, this top down approach of oh this is what's happening outside so let's 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 kind of implement this that's what we need we need another computer we need another tablet um and i feel um yeah like including maker education for example this has been one of the things that a lot of our members are active uh, developing curriculums for how could you uh, uh enhance innovation and creativity at a young age for the student to come out uh, having a different understanding of their society and their ability to find solution for their communities as opposed to being a very passive receptor, receiver of information, which is unfortunately how the education system works in a lot of our countries, right? Like this is what we've been, um, how we've been raised for 13 to 16 years in schools is sitting down and receiving certain wave information. And I mean, I have a lot to say on that topic, uh, uh, but yeah, I don't wanna like hijack the conversation. I feel Brahim has something for sure to say about this. <laughs> no, Fadia, thank you very much. That was very impassioned. Um, and I think what we've learned from all three of you is that really it has to start from the grassroots and looking at what do people on the ground need and how do you then co-create solutions rather than, as you say, top down, just kind of parachuting in. Um, and so in the interest of time, I wanted to move on to the next question. Somebody um, would like to know, how can someone possibly move from consultation to co-creation when there's no form of transparency in project execution? That's a big question. That is a very big question. I, I would, I mean, just briefly, because I think this is like very much at the core of how we try to operate as a network, right? We adapt, we talk about all these concepts of open documentation, and that's actually part of how we do all our projects is about open documentation uh, to the public, but also some of the projects, for example, we had this uh, Carables project, which was a project uh, that aimed to create healthcare devices uh, uh, based on the user, right? with the user. And then we've created a platform online where we can document this open hardware devices that have been created so that others could come and contribute to it uh, and also learn from it. And that came, and, and then suddenly came Corona. We were working on this one and a half year before Corona and then COVID hit and suddenly everyone was like making masks and sharing things about uh, uh, and aerosol boxes and share, sharing all these devices that came so much in handy. And surprisingly at the time, the governments were so late and all the, the structures, you know, were very, very, very paralyzed in the crisis mode. And here it was very evident what we, what, what we were advocating for and what we were doing just came popping out. Um, and I feel it is this understanding that innovation will come with the citizen and the user at the center of it, and that it's a two-way process. It's no longer about you know researchers and academics writing down what they think is best and how to do it, but it's also understanding that it's a, it's a process where you learn from the citizen and you feed back to the researcher, and the researcher with their knowledge could also um, uh, 
do the same. So this like very dynamic flow is what we try to adapt through our projects in the global innovation gathering. And that's also what we are learning from our members and how most of our members are operating in their own projects. So I feel it's that culture, like it's a, a snowball that will grow as you practice it. Yes, as you cultivate it. Ibrahim, did you have a comment to make on that? Um, I know Code for Pakistan has some open source um, work that you have also done. Yes, um, so on the co-creation part, um, we, we did a GovTech hackathon uh, last year. And one, one thing that we did was we uh, consolidated problem statements from the citizens. Um, and we received close to 1400 problem statements from all across Pakistan um, of uh, different citizens voicing their opinion that these are the solutions that they want. And that was followed up by, by a hackathon where uh, some of the citizens that shared those problem statements developed solutions for uh, those problems uh, during the hackathon. So I think it's very important to uh, involve citizens um, in uh, digitization in initiatives. And on the transparency aspect, I think what we can do is um, we can involve citizens through different programs. I think if there is involvement of citizens, if there is structured involvement where they can see how um, a, a particular solution is being developed um, and how their feedback affects uh, different features of the solution, I think that brings in transparency. And um, through the parliamentary system, through different legislations, like we have right to information uh, laws coming into practice in Pakistan, there is a right to open data, you know. If we have these, these legislations, uh, we have these frameworks that can enable more transparency and make the process of innovation and digitization more open and more public. I think, um, uh, I think there is a lot of uh, value in, in developing programs, um, you know, dif uh, involving citizens uh, of, from different spheres of life. They can be, they can be you know, um, uh, technical, uh, you know, fresh graduates, um, uh, they, they can be, you know, mid-tier professionals, uh, they can be other folks uh, within the communities uh, at the grassroots level, but I think uh, giving them a voice, giving them a, a platform is very, very important. I think governments are realizing that, but civil societies uh, and civic tech organizations have the responsibility and, the, you know, to, to advocate for that, to lobby for that, um, and the more, uh, you know, uh, programs we create, the, the more we, we involve citizens through, uh, you know, different hackathons or, you know, um, uh, write-a-thons or, you know, um, community events, you know, open halls, the more we give the chance to the people to voice their opinion, uh, to, you know, uh, to make them feel to, that they are being heard by the government, I think that can solve uh, the transparency or, or the trust deficit that the, the citizens have on their governments. So technology can play a very vital role and civic civil society organizations can enable, you know, the, the, can bridge the gap using uh, technology. Absolutely, absolutely. And so finally, for our final question today, um, thank you for bearing with us um, on the time front. Um, this comes from Suba Churchill and this is for Raphael. Um, Suba says he was left wondering how the high frequency and rural multimedia exchange system can be adapted to promote meaningful citizens' particip participation and co-creation of state-funded development processes in Kenya. So in Kenya, um, while we have the most progressive constitution providing for citizens' participation, 
um, in the management of public affairs and, and mobile telephone penetration is quite high. Public participation at the national and county levels um, of government remain quite low. And so leading to white elephant projects that do not meet the needs of people. So is there a way that the Irma system can um, increase or promote meaningful citizen participation? Well, I think um, as he mentioned, I, I also want to comment about Ololade question in the chat, but uh, as the constitution is is open to the participation of the society and respect the freedoms, I think it's important for the society first to take control of the communication means, not only the message, but also the medium is important because uh, when you leave all the, the medium in, in the hands of the government, you leave also part of the autonomy. And um, and I think it's it's up to the to the civil society to to organize and to shape what we want. Let's say like this, and not only expect from the government to to provide it, but also if it's possible to push the government to provide these platforms, this interaction outside the capitalist companies that only want our data to make profit on it. It's very important, and I think this helps a lot because uh, not be in a platform that is created for profit already makes a lot of difference. And uh, also regarding the, the Ololadi question, Ariola, uh, Ariola is uh, very important, uh, for example, in a, in a condition where the, there is a communication breakdown or a, a, a intentional closure of the internet or uh, or, or the communicate or the telephony network, I think uh, Hermes is indeed a good solution. For example, if you are in a country where there is a internet shutdown, but you have people in the in another country that is like let's say one point five thousand kilometers away that you you can uh, reach through HF radio. Uh, I think this is relevant and, and this uh, can indeed provide a communication medium to the outside, to the outside world when there are uh, communication breakdowns. So the answer is yes, it can be used in this context also. Thank you so much, Rafael, for the for answering the final questions. And thank you so, so much to our speakers for your thoughtful contributions today. So I also wanted to say a very big thank you to our international sign interpreters um, and captioner for their work during this session. And finally, thank you to you, the audience, for joining us today and for your fantastic questions. Our next digital dialogue will look at legitimate self-defense, civil society, digital surveillance. And this will be our last one of 2022, and it will take place on Thursday, the 15th of December, at 4 p.m. Central Europe.